Effective July 1st, 2019, all shore-based shark fishermen aged 16 or older will be required to obtain a no-cost annual shore-based shark fishing permit. This includes anglers over 65 who were previously exempt from fishing license requirements. Anglers under 16 will be required to take a class unless they're fishing with an adult who has a permit. Thanks for tuning in to the Real Guy Podcast. This is Captain Jeff, the Lunker Dog, along with special guest today, Timmy O'Connor. Captain Timmy O'Connor, thanks for coming in today. Appreciate it. Appreciate it and glad to have you. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here. Now, what was that you were reading at the beginning of the show there? So that was a press release on the new shark fishing regulations from shore that the FWC has put out. So in the state of Florida, I guess coming up in July, you've got to have a license to fish for sharks on the beach. Huh. All right, so we're starting off the show with shark regulations from the state of Florida. But before we get into all that, uh, Timmy uh, is a good friend of mine. We've been fishing together for, shoot, well over a decade now. And um, our favorite time of year is, of course, the mullet run. We get together, we spend some time during the mullet run, and then we often go out and do a little tarpon fishing, snook fishing when... Uh, when the time is right, when I got a little bit of time, and uh, when Timmy's got a little bit of time, just like everybody, we're always looking for a little bit of time to fish with our buddies. So, uh, Timmy, um, tell the audience, you know, you grew up here in Fort Lauderdale? I did. I grew up in Wilt Manors, um, about the same time that you were down here, um, or started fishing down here. Uh, grew up fishing on Las Olas, a bunch of the same spots that you were hitting. Right. Uh, Went to high school locally here. Which, which high school did you go to? Cardinal Gibbons. Okay. And had some buddies that introduced me to the mullet run. Um, Colin O'Neill, who you know. Colin O'Neill. Um, Colin O'Neill, um, he grew up with us. He's been um, a staple in the marine industry for years and years and years. Um, he uh, made a great reputation for himself when he worked for Pompanet. But anyway, that's uh, Colin Bernard. Go ahead. Yep. So he grew up on the beach. He introduced me to that fishery, and and I was instantly enamored with it. It was great, uh, and it just took off from there. Just one of my favorite things to do, as you know, so fishing what, on the beach. What, what year? What year were you and Colin first hitting the mullet run? Probably 1983. 83 or so. Very yep. good. Have you seen the big change uh, in the mullet run since '83 and now? I have. Um, it just doesn't seem like the the thick pods get down here as much. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is going to be a get-off-my-lawn moment now, you know? All you uh, young whippersnappers, it used to be better. Should have been here yesterday. Well, you know, it's it's a little different with fishing because, I mean, everybody exp- gets to go out there and experience it. But they didn't get to experience what you got to experience in the 80s. So it was, a, it was a crazy bite. But it was still, as you know, we'd have to hone our skills. I mean, it was a roll of the dice. One day you'd go to the beach and invest time going there, and they didn't show up. Sure right and you'd get weathered out and everything else and we didn't have reports from people up the coast for a while so it was a guessing game but man when you hit it it was unbelievable right and the audience that didn't grow up here in south florida or have not experienced the mullet run or if you're from a different state you don't have something like that what happens is um usually around the second week of september they'll start showing up down here in south florida when i mean showing up is these huge huge schools of um, mullet 
Um, well, yeah, the bait comes down the coast also, but the mullet are so thick, or at least used to be so thick, you could see them for miles and miles and miles, and all sorts of apex riders would be in there just crushing them. And if you uh, get on YouTube and search the mullet run, you can you know, see it for yourself, you know, for you people that are out there in like Missouri, Kansas, and these places where, you know, the mullets aren't swimming by your beach, check it out on YouTube. But the mullet run is spectacular. It always has been. And um, in the 80s, when Timmy, you know, was first introduced to it, it's a lot more spectacular than it is now. Yeah, it's, uh, I tell people that it's National Geographic. Right. I mean, I, I've done my fair share of fishing. I can't think of a fishery anywhere that matches that bite when it's doing what it's doing right right and um you know when you when you fish that mullet run you know for decades like timmy and i and some of the locals here is you develop strategies and you develop rhythms it's not like you just go down to the uh, beach and you know there's so many fish it's like picking them out of a barrel or whatever i mean it takes some skill it takes some serious dedication some serious effort you need a lot of stuff to fall into place right i mean the first thing you do is you need the weather conditions to be right you need the wind to kind of kick them in the pants a little bit get them down to us right then you got to find them right then you got to find the schools which means driving the beach checking out parts of the beach going up and down the coast and then once you find the baits now you got to find the pod that's ideal to get bit i mean there's such a thing as too many schools you could have huge pods or multiple pods coming down the beach but they don't all have fish on then you got to find the fish that are actually eaten some are rolling lazy on the outside of them they may have sharks in them whatever Right. So there's a lot to there's a lot more to it than it than it appears. But again, when you hit it right and everything comes into line, as you know, it's unbelievable. I'll match that against any tarpon fishery. I don't care if it's the worm hatch. I don't care if it's Boca Grand. Right. It doesn't matter. It I'll, I'll stack that against everything. And the nice part is accessibility from the beach, mano a mano. Nothing like it. Right, and, when, and you got to realize, you know. Um, when Timmy means there's there's nothing like it. I mean, we're standing on the sand, not on any beach, but on Fort Lauderdale Beach. You know, you know where the boys are, and you know the crazy spring break stuff, and the Ritz Carltons, and the, I mean, massive amounts of people. And then we look down the beach, and there's just covered with bait and big fish, sharks and tarpon. And um, check it out on YouTube. We got Timmy. Um, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago. Where he caught, I don't know, Cole, was it? How big you reckon that fish that was? That fish was like 140, yeah. thereabouts, something yeah. like that. I mean, fish was close to a buck and a half or whatever, but it's a huge tarpon. And uh, he catches them on the beach. And when he first starts fighting the fish, Timmy's all by himself. And by the time he gets the fish to the shore, um, there's a crowd of about 100 people or so. And, you know, they're all waiting for the fish to come in. The four-letter strip is behind him. And it's just... There's just no other. There's just no other place that you can experience a tarpon bite like you can during the mullet run on Fort Lauderdale Beach, and um, when you fish that mullet run, you fish it together with a small network of anglers that can actually help one another. You know, catch a lot of fish. Uh, fortunately for me, Timmy's in my network of people, so. Even if Timmy's not fishing that day, he may be coming home from work, he takes a stroll down the beach, he's able to look at the beach for a few miles, and then if he sees something that's solid or that's reportable, I get the text or I get a phone call and Timmy's like, hey Jeff, did you see XYZ, you know? And then uh, knowing that Timmy's giving me the information that I might actually you know, get motivated and run down there and see if I can't get on that bike. But it's a small network of people that actually know what they're looking at. 
And it's also info that you need to jump on right away. It That can't wait for tomorrow morning. Stuff changes so quickly. The weather changes. The seas pick up. It changes the complexion of the entire environment. You, you need When you get that info, when you get that tip, bam, you got to be out there right away. That And you can't be one of these you know sensitive types about it. Like, for instance, if Timmy calls me and tells me there's a huge school of bait right down here at the Sheridan, and I run down there, and the school of bait's not there anymore, people would have the tendency to be pissed at Timmy and be like, oh, you know, he told me the fish were down there. Well, they might have been down there for the 10 minutes Timmy was looking at them, and then the 10 minutes that it took you to get there, they might have just left. I'm not afraid of people being mad at me, Jeff. Uh, that's a long list of people. Well, I like to have the disclaimers for the audience. I don't want any of these real sensitive types getting bent out of shape when they run down there on somebody else's tip. And then, you know, it doesn't work out for them. Well, then they just don't get the tip anymore. Well, yeah. That's why I was saying it's a small network of people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is true mullet run. Um, this is true mullet run advice. I mean, it's, you know, the other stuff you guys can read in the... You know, in the magazines or look at, you know, there's a ton of people on YouTube or whatever that'll make you a fishing expert. All you got to do is watch that stuff. And then you can deal with your own network of people. But me and Timmy, we do that together. We have uh, we have a group of, say, three or four other dudes that um, um, we all work together trying to stay on the fish during the mullet run. And when you have a, the small network of people that actually work together like that, it's, it's extremely... How do you say it? It's a tight bond. I mean, it's uh, it's reliable. It's a, it's a solid network, and you just know that you've got eyes on the beach. Right. You're you're got an office job. You can't be out there. You know, someone's scoping it out, and vice versa. Everyone helps everybody out. It's a great dynamic. Yeah, it's kind of like the real guy, you know, helping real guy thing. Except it's about the tightest bond that I know that you can have in the fishing world. Like I have, you know, a really good bond with a lot of the good fishing guides around here and we share information and stuff. But I'm it's not near it's it's not the same as when you fish the mullet run together. I mean that bond that you do have and then what happens is you wanna do other types of fishing with those same dudes because you know you know the strength of the relationship, the strength of the fishing relationship. Because you know, having fishing buddies ain't easy. No, but I will tell you too is it there's not the competitive thing where people are saying, "Well, I saw this school on the beach, and I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to fish it," because everybody that fishes this pretty hard knows that you could be on the same pod, and unless you know what you're doing, you don't have to worry about the other dudes getting the shots. Right, and and without a network, you know, it's a little, it's a, you know, you need luck on your side, and then during a mullet run season, if you caught one tarpon in the surf. You could call that fairly successful. With the right network, I don't know, call it four or five tarpon during the mullet run would be... Nowadays, yeah. I mean, back in the day, I mean, it'd be double digits. I mean, you could get double digits on just one session. But yeah, I mean, you get four or five, that's a good It's a good run. I hope it gets better. I hope it starts picking back up. And why do you, why do you, why do you think that the, uh, there's been a decline in the, in the, in the mullet run? I'm not really sure. I, I would imagine that the water quality issues that we've got coming out of Port St. Lucie right. um, has a lot to do with it. I think the algae bloom, uh, you know, you, you know as well as I do, you hear reports of the baits just stacking up above St. Lucie, right? You hear Jacksonville, New Smyrna. You see video of big baits up there for weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And they're just waiting for a northeast wind or north wind and kick them down. It just seems that by the time they get here, 
there's not as many um they don't stick around as long it's it's weird they get here late well you know they've made so many rules over the years and they put the rules and regulations on the anglers themselves do you think for a second that it was people that were beach fishing that actually put a damper on the mullet run they couldn't even that'd be a rounding error there's no way that 10 dudes netting mullet or snagging mullet to fish for tarpon (laughs) there's no way that that would even move the needle it it's it's something else i don't know if it's water quality i don't know if it's commercial harvesting of mullet i couldn't tell you i just know that one you know they you they used to get down here thicker and stay longer right the mullet run used to be six weeks right on the beach right now things are topsy-turvy once upon a time the the finger mullet used to come here first down the beach and you'd have about three weeks of the finger mullet right. then the big mullet would show up and then you'd have at least four weeks of that bite right weather permitting right now they kind of show up together and it's all mixed up and I weird mean, yeah I, I mean last last mullet run i don't think i had more than 10 days of of you know seeing the bait actually moving through i mean there was plenty of bait around to catch there was fish around to catch but the actual mullet run you know the national geographic stuff that you're talking about now do you think that uh well tell the audience why we started the show off with you reading the uh shark rules here in the state of florida well Many of us in the state know that uh, there is a movement to try to get rid of anglers who are fishing from shore. There is a minority of of people out there, whether they're environmentalist cuckoos or there's just people that are a little, they must have crummy lives because they just want to pick on people who don't necessarily have boats. We've run into it here in Fort Lauderdale, as you know. We can get into that meeting if you want. But I think it's all over the state where there's some people that are just tired of seeing people enjoy, with their kids, mind you, fishing from the beach for different species, right? So this latest bit was, uh, it's basically requiring a license. It's a free license, but a license in order to shark fish from the beach. I don't shark fish hardly any anymore. Certainly not from the shore, but you and I can both see where this is headed. Once they start regulating the shark fishing, then it's just going to transition to any other species on the beach. It starts with a free license, then it starts with, or or then it escalates to paying for a license, or it simply goes to prohibition. So you're just figuring this is a stepping stone for more rules and regulations to restrict anglers from fishing on the beach. I I hope I'm wrong, but I've got it. My spider senses are telling me that this is bad news. Well, those are good spider senses because it's not the first time. I mean, we're lucky to be able to fish on the beach now. I think it was two years ago. Some crazy activist lady that lived in a condo or some nice house down there on the beach decided she was going to pair up with one of the city commissioners, make the rules and regulations where we weren't allowed to go down there and do our mullet run thing or go pompano fishing or show your kid how to fly fish or anything else down there on the beach. Right. And they were going to totally ban the fishing. And none of us uh, really knew about it. And I think it was Steve Kantner and Carl Ball that found out that the hearing was going to happen. And they um, they told us, and then we used our social network to uh, spread the word. And uh, we literally had hundreds of fishermen show up to the downtown meeting. And we were fortunate enough to get tipped off that the meeting was happening and then have enough support um here in Broward County to go down there and put a stop to it. But if we didn't get that tip 
and the fishermen didn't show up there in big numbers, they would have passed the rule, the law, not a state regulation like, you know, you can fish for this kind of fish for, the, you know, at this size. They were just basically going to say, no, no fishing near the beach here in Broward County. That's correct. And it was, by the way, if we weren't there, it, those of us who were there saw the absolute bad faith that some of these people were demonstrating. They paraded some small children up there and had a child read a prepared statement to, you know, to the commissioners stating that they didn't want turtles killed right. by fishermen, which is absolutely absurd. I've been fishing on the beach since the 80s. I've never once had any gear wind up in a turtle right not once right. it was completely disingenuous and it was a state it was a hit job and fortunately we we're there to defend the interests of anglers right so so it's like kind of like fake news they show up to this type of meeting they have the sob story about um the fishing nets and the fishing line killing the turtles and then the poor guys that are there at the city commissioners who never go down to the beach assume that that's the truth and then bam you're not allowed to fish down there no more that's correct and we were able to actually see the fake news the false stories the manipulation that people put the local government through to get these um law type of laws passed and there's a pretty good chance there's a good bit of manipulation with that shark statue that you just wrote i believe so Un unfortunately you know there's chuckleheads out there like the guys on the west coast that were dragging that shark backwards and that video went viral right. that leads to this kind of stuff right you know uh some guys who are fishing on the beach, say for Pompano or something, and they leave some empty beer cans on the beach. All that does is set the table for these, you know, activists to come say, oh, look, look, the beach is being littered by all these fishermen. Right. That's, you know, that's why we have to be responsible custodians of the beach. But they're out for us. I mean, as you know, Jeff, there are fewer and fewer areas for anybody to fish from land. Oh, ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, you know, Timmy and I were fortunate to be able to be in Fort Lauderdale during the 80s. And, um, I mean, there was a time. And if, you, if you've never been to Fort Lauderdale, Google Earth it and look at how much seawall space that we have here. And when in the 80s, you could actually walk up and down the seawalls. You could walk behind most people's houses with a fishing rod. And um, maybe uh, you kind of needed to know if they had a mean dog that might get you. If the person that owned the house didn't know who you were, they'd walk out and they'd say hello and they'd ask who you are and you'd tell them, hey, I'm Jeff, I live over here on Fiesta Way, blah, blah, blah. And they'd say, okay, you catch anything? You know, that kind of attitude. Yep. And Fort Lauderdale was a great place to uh, learn how to fish, um, to become an expert at fishing because there's I, I, there, more fishing experts have come from the metropolis of Fort Lauderdale. Um than anybody would ever imagine, especially when you look at, you know, you know the, the type of city that we have. But anyway, um, yeah. It, it's true. I mean, it, it, was, it was a great fishery. I mean, you were a little scruffier looking, so you were getting kicked out of more yards than I was. I wasn't scruffy looking back then. I kind of looked like you. I used to have a tight haircut, and, you know, I was buff. I was a football player and stuff. And I was harmless. They saw me, and they just started laughing. Well, they were like, well, there's a... I'm not going to besock you. <laughs> I'm not going to busaka you. Is busaka this. a verb? Can I'm, I can I be busakaed? You can. I'm not going to busaka you during this <laughs> during this during this podcast. One because you know we're the same age and everything. And two, Timmy, um, he prides himself on being a nerd, so it's not fair. 
No, it just comes natural. I don't have to work at it. Does that mean I'm busakad? No, but you... Is that the Italian version of bow thrustered? Or? <laughs> so you can either get busakad or you can just kind of get the, um, the um, reputation that you have banker's hands. I'm having trouble living that one down anyways. Yeah, for, for you guys that don't know, you know, Timmy's a hard-working son bitch, and, you know, he, uh, he he's fighting for his time to get out there fishing and stuff. And then uh, we go out there, and, you know, <laughs> his hands are all soft and everything. And then me being, you know, having the big heart that I do, I just like to make fun of him all the time. They're not soft hands. They're supple. They're They're cultured. <laughs> But dude, and you guys, yeah, you guys, I know you guys messing around with your fishing buddies too. So don't be like, oh, just picking on people. Hey, I'm just happy to be here. I got a face for radio. Now I get to use it. You know, Timmy, um, talk about your family a bit. I mean, Timmy, Timmy's a big family man, and um, today it rained all day, so I wasn't fishing, and Timmy didn't have to go to lacrosse tonight. So we took advantage of the time. Yeah. You know, to get him in here in the studio, and, yeah. Um, Right? Yeah, and plus I got a broken wing, so I can't fish anyways. But uh, that'll get fixed in another month or so. Yeah, Timmy uh, Timmy had a hard fall and broke his arm the other day. And um, I don't know, I've been thinking about him, and uh, I didn't talk to him for like two weeks. And then I see him out on uh, our buddy Grimmer's boat tarpon fishing the other day. Well, not tarpon fishing. I was more of a consultant. But, yeah, I was on board. I wasn't fishing. Well, dude, you were kind of like the captain in uh, the Wicked Tuna North versus South. You know the guy that only has one arm? Yeah, that's me. You he, were playing the role. <laughs> I was. It's a role I'm comfortable with, by the way. Well, then you can go down to, like, um, Jimmy Buffett's place here on Hollywood Beach and get into that, you know, a more salt life than you are. <laughs> I'll pass. I'll take a hard pass on that one, actually. Um, salt life doesn't suit me. I'll, I'll, I'll stay under the radar on that one. Do you think that whole salt life image and everything is kind of biting the... Uh, the real guys right in the ass at this point i think that salt life is probably one of the lamest things i think nerds look down on salt lifers <laughs> on behalf of all nerds uh the salt life stuff is about as weak sauce as you can get well i think that like all the and i i hate to insult salt life but i think like all the jet skiers that we see out there the people with all those different types of jet boats all the people that are like totally bombed hanging out at the sandbars all the russian people that are down there by like sunny isles all those nuts that are those islands and stuff all through miami and all the way down to stiltsville i think they all like think that they're part of a salt life community and they think like they're right in there with you being a happy baiter and you know doing the mullet run and actually you know, have a boat and everything that want to fish. I think they think they, they're they right in there with you. I, I don't want to bang on the uh, salt lifers too much, you know, to each his own. But um, I think the salt lifers, that's just a gateway drug to a Costa Del Mar sticker to go on the back of the truck or something else. So, you know. Well, like, like take the water taxi here in Fort Lauderdale, okay? So some dude from Minnesota gets on the water taxi. He takes a ride around Fort Lauderdale. He sees all the houses and all the boats and all the water and everything. And he comes home and he's got a little bit of a suntan and everything. And then next thing you know, he's right there in Dick's getting his Salt Life sticker. God love him. It's something. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think that that's gonna? Do you think that that's biting us in the ass? 
No, nah, the more the, the more the better. I just think it uh, helps separate us, right? So, you know, let the cream rise to the top. You've got think about it. Before there was Salt Life, right. it was all Guy Harvey stickers, right? right. The Guy Harvey shirt wearing SOBs. Then they migrated to Salt Life because they thought they were getting elite, right. or the Big Johnson shirts, right? So that's okay. I mean, hey, if it makes them happy, great. Uh, you'll never see one of those Let me, uh, on my stuff. Since you brought up the Guy Harvey thing. It's kind of a, an interesting fact. Did you know that Guy Harvey apparel was the only apparel that ever broke all generation gaps? And what I mean by that is the grandchildren wear Guy Harvey. Wow. The parents wear Guy Harvey. And the grandparents wear Guy Harvey. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that, but hey, it's good. It's great art. Well, I'm just saying, it's just kind of. I don't know. You told me that, like, when we do these podcasts, you kind of right. like have to act like you know something. Well, when I was doing the, you're acting very well. Well, it's because I know something. The, uh, I was, you know, when we were doing the Walker Cons, what was that four or five years ago? And the Guy Harvey Outpost people were right down the street here, and we were doing all that social media stuff together. Right. I was reading about the Guy Harvey brand, and when I read that. I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting because I can't think of another brand that actually appeals to, you know, the kids from friggin' three years old all the way up to people that are, you know, 80 years old. And, and they're still going strong. I mean, everybody's wearing that. I mean, it's, it, it's almost cliche how much that stuff is out there. So the Guy Harvey stuff is definitely, I'm calling it a step above the Salt Life stuff. That's fine. Yeah. That's fair. That is fair, right? You sure. I try to be fair. Well, we can't offend Guy Harvey. We can offend Salt Life. We just can't offend Guy Harvey. I don't even know who Salt Life is. I know Guy Harvey. You know, Guy Harvey actually lived on Fiesta Way, which was the street that I grew up on. I didn't I know that. Kid. Yeah. When he moved into uh, Fort Lauderdale, they moved, uh, I think he was on a, on a condo at the beach at first. But anyway, him and like three of his buddies pulled up their money to rent a house on Fiesta Way. Wow. And he lived like, I don't know, six houses down from me. And um, at that time, you know, he wasn't a family man and all that. He was, I guess, just doing art. But anyway, the story was, you know, oh, yeah, this, this marine artist lives down the street now. You know, he wasn't, like, famous or anything. Wow. Kind of cool, right? Who knew that he was sandwiched right be- behind some of the best tarpon canals <laughs> in Fort Lauderdale? Right, with all them damn marlin <laughs> things he did. You'd think he would have started with a tarpon or a snow. <laughs> He just had to walk over to Hendrix Isle, bang out a quick 20-pound snook. There's a lot of cool people that, you know, gravitated to Fort Lauderdale over the years. Sure. That was way back. That was, you know, that was way back. And then I think uh, that was probably the smartest move that Guy Harvey could have ever did. Come to a growing place like Fort Lauderdale where the original Salt Life types or whatever actually... You You really got to give Guy Harvey and his organization credit, though, because they really do... Uh, a lot of philanthropic work and donate. I, I have a hand in a fishing tournament here in town, and the folks at Guy Harvey are always very generous donating stuff for us to sell an auction off or to help with the tournament. So that entire organization is really, they're exceptional in how they're trying well, to help know, the community. You know why they're exceptional? I mean, because they're real guys. I mean, think about it guy harvey actually takes his kids out marlin fishing and fishing and doing all this diving and stuff so they're planning their time and their you know 
schedules around catching fish or spearing fish or diving or doing you know art or video or whatever it is i mean that's what real guys do well because his first name is guy so he is a real guy well he's a real guy guy's a real guy <laughs> but it's true it's a it's not horse malarkey how do you like that i don't even know how to respond to horse malarkey well i'm doing my best not to curse so much. it's refreshing is this g-rated I'm about G-rated, but at least when we upload the uh, podcast, I don't have to say it's explicit. By the way, guy starts with G, too. <laughs> All right, we'll call it a G-rated episode. But, and also, you know, I mean, how would you feel like if your mom went to your podcast page and saw that your content was explicit? That she would frown upon that. <laughs> and considering, you know, some of the people who listen to podcasts are kind of that old, you know, just lay off on a lot of the cursing so you're just gonna have to deal with horse malarkey but anyway um <laughs> so so going back to the shore fishing thing though right. uh in, in all seriousness everybody's listening to this podcast you really need to make an effort to stay dialed in on the trends and what's happening whether it's fwc or any any you know regulations throughout the state if you look at over the last 20, 30 years, there's been a steady decline in the number of areas or the amount of areas or square footage that we have available to us as shore fishermen. Yeah. And I want my children to be able to experience as much as what I did and as much as what you were able to experience as a child. Um, we got to keep on this. I mean, when you combine that along with how there's a never-ending effort, it seems, to shut down places like Everglades National Park to angling. Right. right. They want uh, once upon a time they were these folks were trying to create these exclusionary zones, yeah. right along the beach that went from the water's edge all the way out to how far, two three miles that they wanted to prohibit fishing entirely. We can't have that. I mean, where else are we going to go? Well, we, we we can't have that. We shouldn't have that. And that attitude taken by the government, you know, is piss poor. It's only going. It's only going. It's only going to encourage people to do things that they probably shouldn't do where they right. you know might should be fishing i mean it's so blatant like you take a you take a ride across um what we used to call alligator alley which is now 595 that takes you from fort lauderdale to naples and you roll right through the sawgrass yep and the government has put up over a hundred well it'd have to be a hundred miles each way so over 200 miles of barbed wire fence, so nobody can access the water along the highway. Right. And they spent money on that and time on that. And they, oh, maybe somebody might get eaten by an alligator out there. Well, you know, human nature will teach you that if somebody gets eaten by an alligator, well, you might want to stay away from the alligators. It would be helpful. But a fence is not going to teach you that lesson. And when you're going 90 miles an hour and you hit an alligator in the middle of Alligator Alley, that'll teach you a lesson, too. Well, like I said, you know, let's put up a fence and barbed wire. Make sure nobody understands, you know, anything about that. We'll just exclude everybody from 100 miles of the state that has nothing but water. True. Yeah. But that's government attitude. And whether you're in the Keys, you, you see signs pretty much everywhere not just from the government, from all the nice civic associations and so on and so forth. No fishing, no fishing, no fishing, no fishing, no fishing, right. no fishing, no parking, no fishing, no kids, no sound, no everything. No shirts, no shoes, no dice. No 
horse malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the, the the point I'm trying to make is all all of us, the angling community, we need to do a great job of not only adhering to the regulations that are in place. We need to be doing it better. Don't give any of these knuckleheads, these these old women on the beach in their condo. Don't give them a reason so to do. You're saying the fishing the fishermen need to hold themselves and the fishing community up to the highest standards. Sure. So you, the fisherman is going to lead by example, not the government or the condo commandos or the city commissioners or whatever. Why give them a reason to come in and, you know, impede what we're trying to do, right? Or let them encroach. Do it better. Right. Yeah. That always, that always comes, to my, comes to my mind. Like, we'll be out there fishing pretty much every night, and the Florida wildlife guy goes by, and um, I don't know who, who he is. He doesn't know who I am. And um, the only time that uh, we hardly ever have any experience with those, you know, Florida Wildlife Commissioners and some of the other authorities that are out there <coughs> is if they're doing safety checks, license checks, um, God knows what. But it's never hardly about the fishing or about conservation or about um, what we can do to help each other make the you know the fishing better or the environment better it's never like that it's almost like we're we're opponents of one another it does feel like an adversarial relationship but we're supposed to be partners with the fwc with the marine patrol all of all of law enforcement on the water it should be a partnership they we, we should be bouncing ideas off each other and they do hold you know hearings every once in a while and open house but i will tell you that it sure seems like they hide them it sure doesn't seem like they want our input no. Very much. Well, that and just like, I don't know, us as fishermen, we know for the most part, you know, the guys that are fishing, you know, a lot, we know for the most part who the good guys are out there, who the bad guys are out there. And um, if we know that, well, the FWC should know that. We should be on like, you know, at, at least, you know, call ourselves peers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just never feels that way. There, there are folks that uh, play, you know, loose and, and fast with the rules. You know, the guys keeping snook out of season, right? right. We need to be self-policing that. Well, what do you think? Do you think more FWC officers have, um, have uh, put a stop to catching those big snooks out of season? Or do you think fishermen have done a better job at keeping the snook regulations, you know, enforced. Well, I don't know. I mean, when he's got me pulled over checking my credentials and checking my PFDs for the fourth time in four nights while there's two other boats grabbing snappers right outside the inlet, then they're all shorts, you tell me. I mean, where's the priority? Right. Well, it's like I know for a fact like if you're on a fishing pier or whatever and you try to poach a snook off a fishing pier there's going to be you know 10 dudes 15 dudes that are going to look down their nose at you and be like hey you sob you can't touch that snook you can't kill that snook yep and they got phones right and they got phones so in my opinion i think that the fishermen do a way better job than the government as far as enforcing the rules and regulations and doing what's right out there as opposed to abusing them Every once in a while, you meet one fisherman that abuses the rules. 
but 99% of the time the fishing you the fishermen you meet respect the rules abide by the rules and if somebody else isn't abiding by the rule I'm not saying they call the FWC with a rat or anything, but they'll freaking make their voice known. Like, hey, USOP, you can't do that. Right. Uh, I hope that's the case, yeah. Well, I know it's the case. I know it's the case. And I would like to think that um, the time and the energy that the conservation groups or the FWC or anybody like that, you know, would realize that 99% of the anglers that are out there that are out there fishing, you probably should become friends with, communicate with, and consider them a peer. Especially the captains, especially the folks that are doing it for a living. Why they would harass you or me on a nightly basis is, is absurd. Yeah, I heard a story, and I, 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 you know, I, I hear a lot of this stuff, but I guess, what, I guess a few years back, I guess we're going back three or four or five years. The, 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 I'll call it down there harassment by the Florida Wildlife um, Commission for um, guides that fished, at least in Broward and Dade County. I can I can vouch for that because that's right. that's where I was. I mean, they were stopping us multiple times in one night. I think one year I got stopped like sixty-eight times in one year. Wow. And then they would stop you, and they would do the safety check, and they'd basically treat you like a criminal. Um, you know, huffy puffy. You know, there's nothing you could do to make them smile or to you know talk with you or whatever. I wouldn't say a hundred percent, but a lot of it. And I guess over um, in Goodland or over in Marco Island, the uh, FWC pulled over either a senator or a commissioner or somebody. You know, some some big some big. Uh, Big wig. Yeah, some big government official and treated him like he was treating, you know, the guides and some of the fishermen. And the dude just couldn't believe that, um, you know, that an FWC officer would treat somebody like that. Well, he went back to Tallahassee and made a big stink about it. And, you know, I don't know, I guess they made a rule now where they have to have some sort of probable cause to check you. And since that time, in the last couple of years... I really think there's been a um, an attitude change with FWC. That's great. Good. And, and, and I'm starting to see, um, I wouldn't necessarily say coordinated camaraderie or anything, but you do see the, the, the new FWC officers trying to make a relationship with the guides that are out there. That's a fantastic partnership. That's how it should be. I mean, you start with being professional. Just start with being professional, right. and then you you know you build. It's teamwork. It's teamwork, right? They should be on the same team as the ninety nine percent of the anglers that are doing the right thing out there. You bet. And then we can eliminate you know the poaching and the netting and all the other weird stuff that people are doing down there, which they know damn well they shouldn't be doing. Right, but especially the the professional charter captains. Why you would alienate that group and and harass that group? doesn't make any sense or if there is a bad one in that group there should be no wiggle room like they should be the easiest guy to catch would be the one captain that's not doing the right thing out there right and, and that won't be a secret either all the other captains are right, going to know you, you build that reputation absolutely all the other captains already know that so if the fwc had that type of relationship with all the captains they would know it too which is exactly why i kind of brought up this point yep and um good yeah 
Uh, that's very encouraging. If, if, if we can be fostering a partnership with, uh, with all law enforcement on the water, right? That, that's that's only healthy that's great well and i think the i think the fishermen have called for it for a long time i mean i heard uh benny blanco talking about the same exact subject out in everglades national park like right. why in the world would he be opponent be the opponent of you know the, the the conservationists out there because you know he wants everything that they want and and more he wants to preserve it that's his livelihood right he's not out there to burn up seagrass he's not out there to to keep all these short redfish and all this other stuff. He wants it sustainable more than they do. And knows who isn't doing it more than they do. That's right. But that this is the fallacy of, of some of these folks that want to shut down places like ENP to all angling. Right. They don't they just want to keep it to themselves. ENP I mean, is Everglades National Park, by the way. Sorry, more nerd well, Tim, acronyms. Jimmy gets carried away with that, you know. First he was a Maverick guy. Now he's big time Egret guy, so you know he's got all the lingo and everything. He plays the part, he looks the part. As a matter of fact, damn, that's how I remember. Me and Timmy were trying to remember how uh, we became close, and and Timmy got into the social network. And I'll tell you the story. Uh, God, it has to be ten years ago or whatever. But anyway, more, more than ten years yeah. ago, I'm, I pull up to the uh, to the local boat ramp, which is right down the street from my house, and I see this guy pulling out of the water. Who's got the Maverick that looks like a million bucks? He's got the rods out. I mean, everything is good. He's got his clothes on. I mean, he is sporting the piss out of the Maverick at the boat ramp. And I look over there. I'm like, man, this guy's got to be a guide or whatever. So anyway, I start the conversation like, hey, you've been busy? <laughs> Jimmy's like, yeah, I've been busy, you know. But and he's thinking, I'm thinking that I'm talking about, you know, life, work, so on and so forth. And I'm figuring that he's a guide or whatever because he's sporting the piss at all the stuff. And then he explains <laughs> to me that he's not a guide, but he's. A, and then we were like, oh, I know who you are. And then from that point on, we started to uh, stay in contact, pretty much. Yeah, know? no, absolutely. Right? That that was uh, that was good, clean fun right there. And by the way, no salt life stickers to be found. There was no salt anywhere, life but Timmy was salt life as horse monkey back then. <laughs> and I've never, I've never let, I've never even let him live it down. Even to this day, even to this day, he's got the new flats boat and the new ride and everything. But deep down, in the roots of, of the three-time Happy Bay World Champion Tim O'Connor, he's really a Maverick guy. Just don't tell anybody in North Carolina that, Jeff. I've, Frank at Egret, we love you. Frank and Egret, great boat. We love it. We caught a bunch of big fish on that boat. But Timmy's Roots is a Maverick guy. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I can't deny it. <laughs> Dude, you sported the Maverick sticker in Broward County probably harder probably harder than most. And you do realize Croco was the first one to sport the Maverick sticker in Broward County. I didn't know that, but I'll follow Croco anywhere. Dude, if Croco did it, that's probably somebody... Uh, somebody good to follow but anyway timmy thanks so much for coming in and doing a podcast timmy's a local we fish together all the time i got a feeling that this won't be the last time that you hear from timmy but um thanks a lot for coming in i hope you guys enjoyed this episode with uh, tim o'connor three-time happy bait world champion and uh they're very dear friend of mine and a real guy thanks timmy. Uh, jeff thank you for having me and uh anytime whenever you need me run that dog pal run that dog <laughs>